1: CyberBit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Phishing gets more personal with conversation hijacking and attempts on direct deposit instructions. The Olympics have opened. Do you know where your hackers are? Apple finds leaked iOS source code on GitHub. Crypto miners are found in hospital systems. Litecoin picks up black market share. We've got some notes on recent patches. Concerns about Russian influence operations continue as the U.S. midterm elections approach. And are bicycle thieves going online? I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, February 9th, 2018. Phishing shows some fresh plausibility and sophistication, as the criminals pay closer attention to their marks. Researchers report a spike in conversation hacking, where criminals interpose themselves into an email thread, spoofing one of the parties to the conversation in an effort to induce the other to open a malicious attachment that carries the Gozi Trojan as its payload. Other observers note an increase in phishing attempts that induce employees to give up their credentials so their paychecks can be directly deposited in the criminal's account. In this scam, a trusted company resource is spoofed, and suspicious employees who respond to the initial phishing email with questions are promptly reassured that, yes, this is legitimate. The Winter Olympics opened today, but state-sponsored threat actors have hacked in first. So far, it's mostly phishing and doxing by North Korea and Russia, but McAfee and other security firms are warning that anyone interested in the Olympics should raise their anti-phishing alert levels a bit while the games last. Apple has filed a notice under the Digital Millennium Copyright Act to have GitHub remove leaked iOS source code. Their notice asserts that Apple has been injured by the publication of the code. Specifically, Apple objects to reproduction of Apple's iBoot source code. Speaking to Mac Rumors yesterday, Cupertino said, quote, Old source code from three years ago appears to have been leaked, but by design, the security of our products doesn't depend on the secrecy of our source code. There are many layers of hardware and software protections built into our products, and we always encourage customers to update to the newest software releases to benefit from the latest protections, Observers think the leak both large and consequential. The leak certainly affects iOS 9, and some think it likely that this particular bit of code persisted into iOS 11. Crypto miners turn up in more uncomfortable places, among them a Tennessee hospital's electronic medical record system. Decatur County General Hospital saw the first signs of infestation in November. It began disclosing the incident to 24,000 patients on January 26th. It doesn't appear the hospital's operations were impeded, but some enterprises have reported that crypto miners have slowed their systems to a crawl, effectively preventing them from operating under anything approaching normal levels. As more criminals seek payment in Litecoin, that cryptocurrency appears to be taking black market share from Bitcoin. Researchers at security intelligence firm Recorded Future have taken a look at 150 of the dark web's top black markets and found that the rise in Bitcoin's price is driving crooks and drug dealers to look for a more affordable alternative. For now, they seem to be finding that alternative in Litecoin. In patching news, Netgear has patched five vulnerabilities at Trustwave's spider labs found in their broadband routers. And WordPress has issued an emergency patch for version 4.9.3, but users will have to apply it manually. Admins are finding the update comes with some headaches. U.S. interest in forestalling Russian midterm election influence operations remains high, with Congress suggesting strategy to the Department of Homeland Security. Representative Will Hurd told the Atlantic Council Symposium that the model DHS uses to counter violent extremism could be extended readily to countering Russian disinformation. Among those expressing concern about Russian influence operations is former President George W. Bush, who thinks evidence of Russian chaos-inducing disinformation during the last U.S. election cycle is, quote, pretty clear, end quote. He also offered, in a talk at a Milken Institute economic summit in Abu Dhabi, his take on Russian motivation, Speaking of Russian President Putin, Bush said, quote, He's got a chip on his shoulder. The reason he does is because the demise of the Soviet Union troubles him. Therefore, much of his moves are to regain Soviet hegemony. End quote. Finally, an alert listener tells us we should warn you that the geolocations betrayed by Strava could also be used by thieves who want to steal your bicycle. We've looked into it and it appears the police in a, to us unpronounceable Welsh town, have been warning against this possibility since 2014. What's that town, you ask? Dified Piaws? Diffied, Diffied Poeys? Diff-Pows? Ugh, well, we'd know how to say it if we were from central Pennsylvania or western New York. But we're a Balmer show, hon. Anywho, our listener tells us this is a thing in the U.S. as well. He says, quote, My understanding is that cyclists like to map their rides and compete with other riders. They also list what their bikes are. Thieves go online and look for a bike, see where the ride always stops or starts, and this allows them to wait for the garage door to go up, and no one is watching, and they take off. These bikes can easily run north of five or $10,000 and up. Just an FYI. And a good FYI it is, too, so thanks, listener. It's not just a military OPSEC matter, but a crime prevention issue as well. A bit of awareness we're happy to share. We'd like to include a special warning to whoever it is that's been seen in the Strava heat map pedaling their Schwinn around the Groom Lake airstrip at Area 51. The gray aliens, widely believed to be resident there, are notoriously sticky-fingered, so take your bike lock with you. It gets nuts in the Peloton sometimes, but hey, the truth is out there. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Dale Drew. He's the chief security strategist at CenturyLink. Dale, welcome back. Um, We wanted to touch today on this notion of victim notification and the importance of that. What do you have to share there?
2: We have a a bit of a dilemma from a victim notification perspective. Um, We took an initiative uh, late last year and beginning of this year and made the decision to to notify every victim that we identify with our uh, threat intelligence platform. So as an example... Just us alone, we're we're tracking 178 million victims uh, globally, uh, and it's about 60 thousand new victims a day. And so we want to do something about it. And so, and now, when we you started, say a
1: victim? What to tell me? What is that? What's the breadth of what that could entail?
2: Ah, that's that's a compromised computer mm. uh, done by a piece of malware or a bad guy. So that could be a that could be a desktop sitting at, at, on on a consumer's home, mm-hmm. or that could be a um, a server or a desktop sitting within a company or corporation. So, okay. uh, a company which has been compromised. Yeah, and so we wanted to do something about it, right? And so, with regards to notifying our customers who might be victims, that's relatively easy. We've we've got a trust path to those uh, to those customers, and uh, we can send them notifications, and they they can feel relatively comfortable that it's coming from a trusted source. But when we made the the decision to start notifying anybody on the internet. Who we saw as a victim uh, of a of a compromise, we're running into a, a a a conundrum of how do you notify a victim that they've been a been a victim of a of a computer intrusion without that notification looking like a phishing attack? Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so how do you, know, so, you do that, Dale? <laughs> yeah, and that's that's and that's exactly our, our dilemma is um, we are we are trying to navigate a way to be able to notify, uh, you know, in, in essence, 178 million people who have been compromised uh, by some form of, of malware that they've been a victim and here are the steps that they need to take to be able to, to repair their system in such a way that that person can trust that notification and not think it's a phishing attack. Mm-hmm. And so imagine having to send a notification with no links um you know, if you want more information, you should go to the following locations, but not providing any reference information, because if you provide a link, then someone can replicate that mm-hmm. um, and put their own link in it. Um, and so we definitely have this dilemma of, you know, we're sort of on on this teetering edge of of, you know, how do you build a trust infrastructure uh, to a large uh, base of people that that you don't have a relationship with to make them aware that they've been compromised somehow so that you can you can protect and increase the level of, of security within the global internet. If we could get 178 million people who are currently compromised and either participating in larger botnets or having their information stolen, if we could notify them and have them take action the moment that they've been compromised, we could have a significant dent in, in the amount of global internet theft that's occurring today. And that—that's the dilemma that that uh, we don't currently have an answer for, but it's one that that um, you know I think is is a very emerging problem that we have to solve for to dramatically increase the security of the of the internet.
1: Yeah, it seems to me like it's sort of the equivalent of a almost a digital postcard where you know you're sending out this message, but at the same time you're not really looking for interaction with them. You can't become their tech support, so you're notifying them, but you can't have the expectation. With that volume, you can't have the expectation of any really significant
2: interaction, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, how many how many people have gotten one of those uh, car warranty expiration uh, letters? Sure. Uh, you know, that looks extremely official. And it looks like it came from your dealership, and it really is an insurance scam. And so, mm-hmm you know we have to find a way and and my my largest concern is let's say we do find a way to send a communication whether it's via a portal or you know some other uh, mechanism through through their internet service provider as an example um if we do discover a way of sending a trusted communication to these victims we have to do it in such a way that can't be replicated for bad purposes by a bad guy mm. and so it's it's a bit of a double edged sword where where we definitely are tired of seeing victims being taken advantage of and nothing being done about it and so we made the decision that, that we were going to invest in notifying anybody we saw being compromised and like I said it's about 60,000 new victims a day mm. um, but we have to do it you know we had to do it in such a way where we can establish some trust uh, with those people and uh, we can have them have some confidence that when they do that corrective action. They're, they're they're doing it to really protect their systems and not opening themselves up as another victim.
1: Well, you got your work cut out for you, that's for sure. Dale Drew, thanks for joining us.
2: Great. Thank you for having me. Our lengthy
1: security reviews pulling attention away from your security program with the largest network of trust centers That's vanta.com slash cyber. My guest today is Deidre Diamond. She's founder and CEO at CyberSN, a staffing firm specializing in cybersecurity professionals. A few years ago, while attending an industry conference, she grew frustrated with seeing so many booth babes on the show floor, scantily clad women hired to attract attendees into the booth. She couldn't help thinking there had to be a better solution, a win-win for everyone.
0: I thought, oh gosh, why don't we make them brain babes? And I said brain babes out loud and everybody, we all looked at each other and we said, let's go to RSA. My team was around me, a lot of my team. Let's wear shirts to RSA that say um, booth babe crossed out and brain babe uh, instead. And... We got stopped and talked to so much that uh, I realized that my story was so rare. Me being a female at the time, you know, mid 40s and having a successful resume in building, you know, technology and, and cyber companies. And and I realized, wow, I really have such a rare story. And so I, I started getting out and publicly speaking about you know the types of cultures that will foster women and why my career was successful and what, the environments that I walked into had for me and that I was able to take advantage of. And then fast forward two more years, going back to RSA and I'm walking the floors and realizing that all we've done is just change the clothing on these women. And we're, not training them. And I said, gosh, this is such a shame. These would be great jobs for students, you know, to, to come see our environments in terms of the events that we put on and the educational tracks and hear about what we're doing and all the jobs. And, and so I said, I wish we made these jobs for students. And when that sort of, when I realized, you know what? I know how to, I run a staffing agency. This is a staffing job. Why don't I do this? And so brainbabe.org launched Steam uh, Conference Connection. And that means we take Steam students from local geographies of wherever the event is, of all genders, and we provide them for booth services and event services. And we give them videos and training on what's cyber and all the different types of jobs. And, and also give them some instruction on how to work a booth and how to help the, the folks that are hiring them to work.
1: So to play devil's advocate, if I'm someone who's uh, running a booth at RSA or somewhere else, uh, what's the the problem with me having uh, attractive people there at the the entrance to my booth if really their only job is collecting uh, people's badge numbers, scanning their badges and saying hello and having a nice, uh, you know, uh, welcoming presence? uh, What's the downside for me to hire a professional actress to do that?
0: So the downside is that we're sexualizing what is a work environment, and you selling sex? If it was just about a pretty person or a pretty human, which is also relative in terms of what's pretty, but let's just go with it, then why not have men? If we're not sexualizing the the environment, hmm. and so the argument is, look, we're struggling to be, you know, treated as equals, and we go to these work events and uh, that sort of vibe. Really takes away from uh, us as women our ability to be taken seriously or treated correctly. And then, from a man's perspective, and if you ask a man this, they're not, that's not why they're going to these events. And the ones that are, you know, they flush out pretty quickly. Like, they don't want to just you know, be uh, <laughs> talking to these beautiful women in, in you know, bikinis. They want to learn about products and <laughs> they want to understand what the services are. And so w- w- not only are we making these jobs for all genders and heck, those those models can come to Brain Babe and we'll give them the training such that they understand the field and they show up interested. I'm happy to do that. The problem is we're not utilizing their brains and the problem is dressing them scandalously right and so even with changing their clothing if we're not willing to educate them on the industry and what's here and what you know what we're doing and all that then we're really just utilizing them to sell sexuality
1: yeah let's go through some of the, the practical things that you're getting at here with the the situation with the lack of women in cybersecurity. Um, you know, you, you you make the point that there are a lot of reasons why we need to be focused on this.
0: Absolutely. It's a national security issue, first and foremost. We are short over a million people. The numbers are showing to be up to two million by in the next few years. And we still socialize young girls to um, think that uh, tech and cyber is a keyboard and a hoodie in a dark room which means they're not coming into our field, you know, so this allows us to spread the word and to show folks um, and particularly women. However, there's a ton of young men out there who think the same thing and think it's not for them. And the reality is I came, I'm in cyber. I came through the sales uh, divisions of companies and then becoming a CEO of cyber companies to include the ones I'm running now. And so there's all kinds of different ways to be involved involved in cyber all those jobs aren't just the keyboard and hoodie job in fact without the sales folks and the marketing people and you know and and, and all the folks to manage projects you know we're going nowhere so it's really a collective team effort of uh, high EQ and, and high uh, skills in, in whatever, uh, you know, your, your intellectual focus is, whether it's tech or sales or marketing, it, we need everybody. And so, yeah, this is all about, you know, all genders and spreading the word to so many people that, were, that aren't looking into this industry because they didn't think it was for them.
1: That's Deidre Diamond. You can learn more about the SteamCon connection at brainbabe.org. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed.